BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, for the past four decades, he's advised Republican governors, and most of it advocated for the private sector. Alan Zarenberg, CEO of the California Chamber of Commerce, will join us. Yeah, he's been building coalitions to fight regulations, laws, and ballot measures businesses don't like. He's a solid Republican, but he's also a pragmatist who picks his fights carefully. Hopefully he won't pick one with us, Marisa. I don't think he will. That still exists in politics, pragmatism? Yeah, every now and then. Well, anyway, he's preparing to head off to retirement. We're going to talk with him about fighting for business in a deep blue state, which Exit some interview. might say is not so friendly to business, like the governor of Texas, among others. But we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Uh, but something business may or may not have liked today, Governor Newsom making an announcement down in Los Angeles about oil drilling, uh, something that environmentalists and environmental justice folks have been fighting for for a long time. He's proposing a 3,200-foot setback uh, so that oil operations uh, cannot be any closer than that to uh, schools and homes and businesses. This is something that's going to take a couple of years to go through the rulemaking process, uh, but something that uh, is very welcome because of the health impacts uh, of fossil fuels. Yeah, and I mean, I do think that that, that's really what the governor um, and the folks at this news conference, who included doctors and folks from the American Lung Associations and others, really focused on the data around the increased uh, asthma, cancer rates, the problems. <laughs> One uh, doctor was talking about uh, serving pregnant women who live in these areas, and she's saying, you need to get exercise. And they're saying, I can't because I can't go outside. Um, but of course, this is, as most things are when it related to business and climate change, complicated. complicated yeah. uh, it's going to take a while. We could see pushback and lawsuits from oil companies. Um, and, and as you mentioned, or alluded to, the rulemaking process itself, regardless of, of any sort of court challenges, could take almost two years. Yeah, well, or even more. The governor's office uh, during the press conference or just before it said that even if things go really quickly, it will be at least, I think, uh, 2023, mid-2023. Right. So. But I mean, this is part of, and this is how Newsom really tried to frame this, a larger effort in California around sort of sidelining the oil and gas industry, moving towards more renewable, uh, less polluting sources of energy and others. And and he really, um, you know, put it pretty bluntly. He said, oil is not our future. And I think, you know, what California has done, uh, and we can talk to Alan about this because he was there for cap and trade and helped push that through, is often lead the way in a lot of these policies that, as we see, are getting stuck in uh, D.C. and not making a lot of progress. Well, and also, I think, certainly a change uh, from the previous governor, Jerry Brown, who, you know, 
made the point, look, you know, we're going to be consuming oil here in California. We drive a lot of cars and trucks, and either we get the oil from California or we get it from out of state, and there are other environmental risks with transporting that around. So I think yeah. the governor, this governor, taking much more of an assertive approach uh, I mean, this. And also, you know, talking about things like electric cars and ways to really move away from oil. I mean, I think we should also mention, of course, that oil spill down off the coast of Orange County, I think, has really... Um, you know, re-energized yeah. mm-hmm. some of these conversations. And as we've discussed on the show before, I think is going to create some of a bit of a sticky wicket for some of those Congress people, uh, Congress women, specifically yeah. Michelle Steele, Young Kim, who ran, uh, flipped those seats from blue to red a couple years ago. Um, and, you know, Orange County, we've done a lot of reporting down there. It is a purple county. And yet a lot of folks who are more conservative are also staunch environmentalists. So I think that's going to be a real yeah. well, place I mean, to, to watch some of this. Yeah. Debate. And we'll talk with uh, with our guest, Alan, in just a little bit. But I mean, you can be if you care about tourism, which is certainly an important right. part of the economy, Uh, you know, this is a big deal. All right, let's move to another topic, something uh, that we've been anticipating for a long time here in San Francisco this week. The elections chief, John Arntz, certified three recall elections against three, I guess it's fair to say, pretty controversial members of the San Francisco school board. Uh, They've been criticized for a couple things, really. One, taking too long to get the schools reopened uh, and prioritizing things like renaming uh, schools, uh, including ones named after Abraham Lincoln and Dianne Feinstein. They eventually dropped that uh, idea. And also changing the uh, admission rules for a very, you know, prestigious high school Lowell in San Francisco. Uh, And so all of those things like, you know, we have this in our politics generally this stew of anger about things. And it's been focused in San Francisco right now on these three school board members. Right. And I mean, we could say I think there's some sense that this is part of sort of a recall fever. We, of course, just all survived the gubernatorial recall attempt. Um, There's also attempted recalls of the district attorneys in San Francisco and Los Angeles. There's now a recall, I think, that's qualified in Shasta County. Yeah, this one is going to really be interesting. Uh, Just today, the uh, elections chief up there said that there were enough signatures gathered to uh, place a recall of one member of the Shasta County Board of Soups. Uh, He is a staunch Republican. uh, somebody who has been very critical of Donald Trump, but he's being recalled. The, the the leadership of the recall movement is being led by somebody from the local militia group. So he's not conservative enough, especially around some of the masking and COVID issues that we've seen so many places arguing about. And so that one's going to play I mean, out. if those two sort of... <laughs> recalls aren't just an example of how diverse our state is. Well, yeah. um, red and redder. Yeah, and I mean, and... Shasta has been the subject of very uh, aggressive protesters, let's say, sometimes threatening uh, these these board members. And I mean, I do think that this speaks, to your point, to a bigger uh, concern among the public, regardless of you know whether you're on the left or right, about kind of whether the people that we've elected are doing... Uh, a good job, right? And, and doing our bidding. But I, I do think that, um, yeah, it's getting a little into the weeds on some of these. It is. <laughs> and, you know, there's also the cost. I mean, for Shasta County, they're saying it's going to cost about $400,000 for an election, a recall of somebody who was elected last year, right. you know? And so I think it does uh, raise I mean, some one thing I'll say, that. and we before we, and then we can move on uh, and bring Alan in, but it is, I, I do think that here in San Francisco, regardless of, you know, whether you think these members should be recalled or enough, it has um, put attention that I would argue as a parent with kids in public schools on our public school system. And it 
is it working? And are the people who are in charge doing the work uh, that needs to be done for the kids? And we have huge budget challenges both yeah. here and statewide uh, um, in schools. And so I do think one benefit of all of this is at least there's some conversation happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, one reason schools are having financial problems, is people are voting with their feet. You know, right. they're leaving. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by one of the most powerful voices for business in Sacramento, Alan Zarenberg of the California Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And our guest today has been a fixture in Sacramento for four decades, working for two Republican governors before heading up the California Chamber of Commerce. He's done that for the past 23 or so years, I believe. It's the state's most powerful voice for the private sector. Alan Zarenberg, welcome to Political Breakdown. Great. Thanks. Hi, Marissa. And hi, Scott. And to your audience. And thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about some things we want to circle back to at the top of the show. But first of all, you know, you've been in this job for more than 20 years. Uh, What impact do you feel like you've had uh, in the job uh, advocating for business? Well, let me first say that uh, let's step back, actually, before when I when I took this job and when I worked for uh, George Dukmajan. Um, both in the attorney general's office and in the governor's office, you know, you have a chance to set policy for Californians. You, uh, you know, and um, regardless of how you feel about any particular uh, governor, they have a huge impact on everybody's life. California has one of the strongest, um, you know, uh, focus of duties as a governor throughout the country. And so, you know, you get to appoint all the judges, you get to appoint all the uh, you know, all the regulators. And so it really is a, an important and you get to veto all the bills. So um, <laughs> or not, you know, if you so, or, <laughs> or if you so desire. Uh, um, but, you know, it, it's a, it, I learned a lot there. I learned uh, but I learned a lot about people and um, how, you know, how you affect their lives. And that that's what's important. That's what's so crucial here. I mean, what is, do you have a most proud uh, piece of legislation you've either helped pass or kill? I mean, is there, are, or, is change. There, or change, yeah, is there a moment or two that you would point to understanding that um, it's been a while and maybe some of the details can get blurry over time? <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, certainly, I mean, you know, let, just to put that in perspective. So uh, the last year of uh, George Dugmajan's governorship, And uh, I just spent one year with Pete Wilson. But after that, um, before that, we had 1,600 pieces of legislation to go through in one month in September. 
So when you asked me what was the most important piece of legislation, one thing I did learn and, you know, because, you know, people would lobby me and obviously and and uh, try to influence whether we signed or vetoed or took positions on specific policies and, and had our own agenda. I, I discovered that every piece of legislation was important to somebody. Mm. Um, may not be to the average person, may not be to everybody in California. And some things affected people in California even more. But you know, there wasn't a piece of legislation that wasn't important to somebody. So it's hard to say, can you pick one out? I just in one year alone, I had, you know, almost 2000 bills to look at. So anything um, personally it, that you're proud of, though, I mean, there's got to be one or two that stand out to you. Well, you know, there's, um, you know, so this is you'll find uh, somewhat ironic, but there was a, a court case that dealt with the Endangered Species Act. And um it would have, in, and in many respects, uh, rendered the Endangered Species Act useless. And we found a way to make that work for balance. And so this is um, what, when you look, you, you look back and you, you know, do you, are you proud of things? Are you lament certain things? You know, what I think what we don't have today is we had a voice of both sides in those mm -hmm. days. Yeah. And you could find balance and you could find compromise. And I think today, um, and it isn't just the composition of, you know, more a blue state than it was, you know, 25 years ago. It's more a question of the political will of people to say, uh, I'm willing to uh, to be compromising. And I think there's a middle ground. And I think we're looking for a win-win. And I think that's, that's really what's difficult today to say, uh, we're looking for a win-win. And I think, you know, in my, you know, in my years at the at the California Chamber of Commerce, I would suggest to you that that's what we try to do uh, more than anything is um, uh, is is find a way that uh, that, that doesn't doesn't hurt people's lives and at the same time yeah. makes it better. And that's one one job. I mean, I can follow through from my life in the governor's office to my job at the California Chamber of Commerce, and we got involved in everything from education. So, you know, do I care about higher education? Absolutely, because that's our future workforce and our K-12 education. You know, the environmental laws, you know, it, it's, um, you, you know, if you go back to when the air quality in, in Los Angeles, where you couldn't see the mountains, you know, that wasn't good for business. Right. So, you know, there's, but there comes a balance. And, um, you know, you talked about at the beginning of the program, you know, the proposed new regulations and um, uh, about oil production in California, you know, everything comes with a price, mm. you know, and the question is, uh, you know, in some parts of the country, they aren't willing to pay that price. And, um, you know, to uh, have a certain agenda, a certain initiative, whether it be, um, you know, uh, getting rid of your all your oil production and relying on, you know, it isn't just oil from other states yeah. it's oil from other countries because we are an island we don't have oil pipelines yeah. from texas well talk about california uh, you know a lot of times business does oppose things at least initially that california floats like locally sometimes and then it goes statewide i'm thinking for example of the uh, smoking ban in restaurants and uh in bars that started in san francisco in the 1990s a lot of people thought that was crazy now it's you know you go to most places around or many many places around the, the country and that, world and 
end world, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, even Europe, God forbid, in French cafes, some places they're banned from smoking. So I'm wondering, given that and given what you just said also about the environment and clean air, I mean, do you think, you know, businesses sometimes on the wrong side of these things, at least from a historical perspective? Well, you know, I, I, so first of all, you know, a, a lot of times when you have a certain industry who is engaged in um, uh, th- what they do, um, I'll take, for example, transportation. Um, th- who's out there advocating for better highways and better roads? Well, if it's not them, who would it be? And, you know, when, you know, people, compl- you know, you say, well, the oil companies are going to oppose the, the drilling uh, regulations. You know, it, it's it's consistent with everything. If you're an expert in an area, you need to be out there to be able to make sure that people understand that. And so when you talk about a smoking ban in restaurants, you know, that reflects more than anything. I think the, the campaign, people, most people, whether it be California and most other states, don't smoke anymore. And But it's partly you know, because of laws like that, isn't it? Well, it's well, it's partially that, but I think you know there is certainly a lot of publicity around. You know, for thirty years ago, started when there are consequences to smoking. It's lung cancer. It's adverse health consequences. It's high blood pressure. People stop smoking, and whether or not you know they were wanted to sit next to somebody in a restaurant that was smoking when you know, 75% of the people 20 years ago stopped smoking, uh, you know, that reflects what not just do you stand up and fight for that? Or do you say, my employees don't want that either? And I don't want that. So, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, the all these things, um, uh, you know, the, you know, require or, you know, uh, uh, somebody to oppose them because they hurt your business, you know, People don't go to restaurants to smoke. So, you know, they go there to eat and drink and have a good time. And if you're not a smoker because it's bad for you, uh, then you don't want somebody sitting next to you smoking. So I think it that's that's a, a good example of the law reflects what the people wanted. And I think that's, um, you know, you don't fight that. You, you find ways to make that work and you make it better. And... Um, you know, it. I think it. It. You know, energy is the same thing. You know, people want to have energy. You know, you know, nobody gets more upset when the lights go out than people who need their electricity. And you know, what is the price of my electricity? And what is the price of my ability to take my kids to school and drive them there? And you know, all those things. So, regardless of how you have energy, you have to make sure it's affordable, and you have to make sure that you know it's available. And I think that's what the public wants. And so, you know, when you do that, you know, we see, okay, so I'll give you a good example (laughs) where all the politics nationally is, is Joe Biden in trouble because of all the inflationary pressures that we have throughout the country with the supply chain and a number of countries cutting back on their energy production. He reflects what the people want. I mean, those are comments that people want to make sure that I have available and reliable and affordable energy. And those are things that apply to many things. I wanna make sure that my transportation system works, my criminal justice system works, you know? And so um, we, we were talking, you know, before the show started about what are those, you know, those things that are consistent and what do I remember? 
I remember working on the peripheral canal, you know, almost 40 years ago. And so, um, and it's still an issue. Water is an issue in California. Uh, even when it rains, it's an issue in California. <laughs> yeah. And it's and because it's, it may rain this year, but it's not going to rain two years. Or it may now. rain too so. much this year. Um, let me just tell our listeners, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Our guest today is Alan Zarenberg. He is CEO of the California Chamber of Commerce for a little bit longer. Uh, he will retire later this year. I mean, OK, let me then jump off onto this oil question, because, you know, sure. at, at the end of the day, the tobacco companies did not like the smoking bans. And in fact, they put out misleading or untrue information, similar to what we're learning that some oil companies have done over the past decade. So within your job, you are often, I would assume, stuck between different groups, maybe the oil companies who would like to keep doing business as usual. And maybe there are solar companies that are part of the chamber. How do you how did you think about your job in terms of serving the people that are part of this group, but also serving the, the public good, the state, the future. I mean, if it's climate change, we're talking about things that are pretty, pretty real, right? Well, things are pretty real on climate change, but we're not going to solve climate change if we're the only ones doing it. So we have to lead in a way that other people will follow. And if nobody follows you, you're not a leader. And so California has to make sure as they do climate change, it's something that the rest of the country and the rest of the world can embrace. And I think that's crucial because we're not going to solve climate change by ourselves. We need to be a leader, and a leader means other people have to follow. So well, let me yeah. step back and, and answer your question, Marissa. This is the same, you know, the strategy I learned, you know, setting public policy for the, for the public sector in the governor's office. In many respects, it's no different than the private sector. You look at the policy first. You look at the policy and try to determine whether or not it's good for the people of California, and that should be your number one concern. And then, because nothing ever solves a problem if you can't get it enacted into practice or into law. And so if you are just a dogmatic you know, um, uh, believer in a particular uh, project or issue one way or the other, and you don't have the common sense and the practicality to figure out a way to get it enacted, you haven't accomplished yeah. anything. So then you have to overlay the politics on top of the policy and say, how can I accomplish this in a way that's best for everybody? Well, and sometimes uh, what, when people get frustrated, they go to the ballot, you know, with ba ballot measures. And uh, California has one of the most robust direct democracy systems. Uh, if the voters do it, the voters have to change it. The, the legislature can't tinker with it. And, you know, when you think of all the ballot measures, some of which you've been for, some of which you've opposed, you know, are there one or two that jump out at like best thing we've done, worst thing we've done? Well, you know, there's always people that I, I mean, there's always constituencies that, you know, regardless of whether you're a proponent for highways or, or whatever, that that feel money is the solution to many things. And um, and so we've seen over the years a number of measures that are taxes that are targeted against one industry or one business. And, you know, is, is that the right way to do things? Um, but I have to tell you, in all our research, and this is important. Um, you know, uh, people like the ballot. They like to vote. They may not understand everything, but they vote on it. They, they, um, I, and, you know, I would have to say over the years, what has surprised me is that people, I think for the most part on balloting issues make the right decision. 
And, um, you know, and this will go back to one of the things I talked about earlier. I think we see in our research right now, what do people care about? They care a lot about um, whether or not my children will have a better life in California than I do. We see that over and over and over again in the research. Can they afford to live here? And I think as we address issues, whether it be the private sector or the public sector, and so, you know, we, we tried to divide that up a little bit. But if the public sector and the private sector aren't working together to solve these issues, then you get these the public's attitude of like, my kids can't afford to live here. That's not good. I want them to have the same future I had. And I think we all need to, to look at that and address that. So one, uh, one, one company that, that sums up a lot of these challenges and debates is uh, Tesla. And we have heard the governor this week and, and recently in general pushing back on comments by Elon Musk that he is uh, moving some operations out of state. It, you know, the governor noted yesterday, of course, that he's not shutting down the Fremont factory and actually expanding R&D in the state. Um, but what he said was that Tesla could never have been created somewhere else. He called us a conveyor belt of talent from universities, noted the public subsidies. You know, this is part of a broader narrative about the business climate here. I mean, what is your take on this debate? Well, you know, there are um, the, there's no question that um, because of our you know, uh, air quality uh, rules in California, that there were certain uh, financial benefits to having a, a facility here in California that helped Tesla build a car that was affordable for, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say the average person, but for most consumers. And, um, you know, and they're a major manufacturer and they provide a lot of jobs and it's the only auto manufacturer in California. And people always lament go back to the days of uh, when Compton had, you know, many auto manufacturers and, and we were better off in those days. So I think we should be fortunate for the jobs and we should be grateful for the jobs here. You know, if he's moving some product, I can't speak for him or his senior management who may want to cash in on some, you know, stock options in a lower tax state, you know, but the production is still here. You know, and the, and, the, and the majority of the jobs are still here yeah. and we should do everything we can is to um, welcome, uh, you know, manufacturers like that who are willing to provi- provide uh, good jobs and um, uh, and make sure our system works. And uh, and I think that's, you know, that's always been an issue here. Are we losing more jobs? Are we gaining more jobs? Yeah. You know, the economy is dynamic. And California needs to change with the global economy. And we have. And, you know, you sort of mentioned this in the beginning and, you know, that I work for Republican governors and, you know, we're in a blue state now. This is exactly right. You have to be part of that evolution to make sure that you set good public policy that um, meets the needs of the people. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the people, uh, the uh, the workforce has changed so much in California uh, since certainly since the time you were working for Governor Wilson, but even just in the past five years. I mean, the pandemic we've seen tremendous changes. People leaving work, uh, the gig economy really taking off. Um, you know, the California has been active in that issue and that uh, space in terms of allowing. Uh, whether or not companies should treat their workers as, as as employees or independent contractors, like what are your thoughts about that? Because it, clearly, business uh, Lyft and Uber and DoorDash they were very adamantly opposed to the law that California passed AB five. What are your thoughts? 
Well, you know, first of all, let me say that, you know, one of the things that distinguishes California from the rest of the country is our higher education system. It produces the engineers, the talent, whether they be in Sunnyvale or San Francisco or, you know, San Diego, Biocom. You know, these are things that um, you go up the coast of California and you see San Diego and USC and and Caltech. These are assets that the rest of the world doesn't have. And that produces one segment of our workforce, although so we should be grateful for that. And frankly, that's what has a lot to do with the excess revenues that we've had over what the governor budgeted. But the aspect that you ask about is the freedom for people who aren't in that category. I I think there's two strategies here. One is how do you make sure that college is accessible and affordable for them, our higher education? And in the interim, how do you make sure they have the flexibility? And I think that really is the key word here, the flexibility to have an opportunity to earn an income that meets the needs of their families. And, you know, that's, you know, that's what the public voted for when they um, when they allowed an exception to the independent contractor rule. Yeah, but they also want they also want drivers. companies like Uber and Lyft to be responsible in terms of uh, giving the employers the the employees uh, the tips that they're uh, that they've earned and those kinds of things. Well, I think that's you know that's part of California law. I don't think that either either any of these companies are trying to take money away from from their workers that they earn legitimately earned. I don't I, mean, I don't that- think that's the case. They, well, you know, I'll, we'll have to disagree on that one because there was you, you there, there, there was a there was a court case around that I believe. Um, <laughs> well, all right, just a few seconds but left. That hasn't been resolved. But you know, finally, let me say, Uber and Lyft they provide a service that the public wants. This goes back to you know I want affordable energy. I want to be able to call an Uber Uber driver when I need one, and and they serve a purpose for the public, and so that's why the public voted for. It. All right, Alan Zarenberg, we gotta, we got to go, but quick answer, two words, three words. What's your favorite topping on the pizzas you make at home? I know we know you're quite good um, at making pizzas. Uh, uh, my cheese mixture of mozzarella and Munster and pepperoni. All yeah. right, good enough. Yeah. Sounds good. Hey, Alan Zarenberg, thank you so much, and we hope you enjoy your retirement. That's going to do it Great, for this thank edition. You. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. I'm Marisa Lagos, and he's Scott Schaefer. Have a great week. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.